thank you guys for listening to the Dwell on Truth show. I am Dan Bodwin. My name's Brenton Powers. And thank you guys so much for joining us yes. as we're going through God's Word, specifically the Gospel of John. For those of you who are new Christians or non-Christians and want to try to figure out what the heck is this whole Bible thing about? Who is this person Jesus? How can we understand what he's trying to tell us in his Word? Well, that's what we're here for. We want to be able to help you guys with that process. As most of you know, Brenton and I are missionaries and evangelists. So what we do, what God has called us to do, is to go out into the streets to share the good news of who Jesus is and to help people to understand. And so this is what we love to do. It really is. Yes, we love God and we love people, and that's why we are seeking to make disciples, worship God, evangelize the world with love for God and love for people. That's what Dwell stands for. And just a quick announcement for those of you who are in the Monterey Bay area, maybe you're listening on KSCO, 1080 AM, live at 11 AM on Sunday, March 20th. We invite you to write in your questions at questions at dwellontruth.org, and you can check our outreach schedule for this week to see where Dan and I will be. I'll be this Friday on KSEO live from 4 to 6 p.m. with Pastor Tim Price from Cyprus Youth, talking with Dave Michaels about various themes and answering calls from you, our listening audience. So tune in this Friday, March 25th, 2022, and call in with your questions. Today's show is a pre-recorded show, so if you have questions, again, I encourage you to write in to questions at Dwell on Truth, and Dan and I will try to answer those next week. Also, for those who want to follow our street preaching ministry, you can find Open Air Campaigners NorCal on Facebook, and Dan and I post videos and updates from our street outreaches, so you could actually see the art that we use. Dan doesn't call his drawings art. I'm an artist, so check out our art and some of our street preaching, and if you're a believer, we encourage you to come check us out in person in these various places where we go to preach the gospel in Northern California. I'm every Saturday doing an outreach by the Monterey Fisherman's Wharf from noon till five. So far, I have been having very fruitful conversations, even being able to lead some people to repentance and faith as the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus for salvation. Also, I lead a men's life group at Calvary Monterey every Tuesday night at 6.15. If you're a Christian man and you're looking for some fellowship, we have about eight guys that gather from 6.15 to 8 p.m. in a room right off of the main entrance to the church. That's it. Calvary Monterey, 3001 Monterey Salinas Highway, and we are discussing the service sermon from Sunday, so check out Pastor Nate's sermons at calvary.com, and then I'll be leading a discussion and prayer time so that we can grow in our faith. So with those announcements out of the way, let's dive into the Word of God. Today we're going to be finishing up in John chapter 9. Um, so, last week we started chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, and we went through right about verse 10. So we're going to start there this week, once again at verse 10. Um, we just learned about the miracle of Jesus opening the eyes of the blind man. And now we're going to go through what happened afterwards and some of the challenges that he had and the uh, the Jewish religious leaders pretending to try to figure out what exactly had happened to him and what it meant. Yeah, very important. 
the first part, we already talked about the sign of Jesus giving sight to a blind man. And today we're going to talk about the significance of that sign. And we're going to talk about spiritual sight. We're going to talk about testimonies. We're Mm -hmm. going to talk about great revelation from the Lord, how to receive a greater revelation so that you can make sure that you see spiritually. Amen. So with that, let's look at John chapter 9. Yes. Beginning in verse 10. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? Once again, we're talking about the significance of this miracle. They People want to know, how did it happen that a blind man sees? Uh, the how question is a very important one because some people are very analytical and technical and skeptical. How is this possible? And, you know, sometimes we can understand the how, uh, but sometimes the how is a great mystery and it points to there being a need for a supernatural cause rather than just a natural cause. Let's see how the man answered. How were his eyes opened? Yes. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Very simple retelling of the first seven verses. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to us having an encounter with Jesus, it's great to be able to simply tell how that happened. How Mm -hmm. did God open up our eyes as Christians? And I I think even non-Christians find these stories interesting Mm -hmm. because they're curious. Well, sometimes they're curious. I think people are naturally (laughs) curious when someone claims that a miracle happened. Well, how did this happen? Yeah, it's weird. You just kind of start chronologically. Well, this man called Jesus came into my life and changed things. That's what we call a testimony. Yeah, yeah. And this one was a really powerful one because people can make claims about, well, God changed my, my heart in this way or that way, and we've probably we all heard about TV evangelists who say, you know, this person who is on crutches or is in a wheelchair and may have something psychosomatic going on, suddenly they feel better and they can walk again. But small community, one of the community beggars who had never been able to see and was born that way, suddenly he's walking around and seeing. Mm-hmm. That's just about as dramatic as it can get. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we, we could miss just how amazing that would have been, particularly in that time and culture. Absolutely. And to Today as well. You may know somebody that has some physical uh, problem with their eyes and they can do LASIK surgery on it or give give them some special glasses that can help yeah. them to see better. But yeah, that couldn't happen then though. I mean that's that those those things were all so far out of the range of possibility. Right. Yeah. And this man was born blind, so it wasn't yeah, yeah. it wasn't just a slight correction that he needed. Exactly. But exactly. The, but the story, uh it, it there's a couple things I just want to point out in his testimony. First is what he says about Jesus, what he knows about him so far, and he's going to say more about Jesus later, but the identity of Jesus, he calls him the man called Jesus. So he just knows his name. He knows he is a man, and that is true, right, Dan? Jesus is a man. He's not a ghost. He's not just God. Yes, correct. As if being just God is something small. (laughs) But he's not just a spiritual entity. He is a man with a physical body. That's right. And and it's, it's extremely important that those two things are are synthesized in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, you've you've t- heard me talk about this many times on the street, and 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 bringing these two things together when I'm preaching because I think it's it's so it's so weighty that you know sin came into the world through man, so it had to be paid through man. So Jesus was truly man, truly human in that way, um, but it had to be paid through God because only a sacrifice of infinite value could pay the price for infinite sin, and only God Himself is of infinite value. So this is a very profound thing. Right. And we're going to see his knowledge of Jesus increase. But
but as often happens with new believers, they know what they know, but they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. some people are afraid of sharing their testimony because what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Then I might feel foolish or get put in a tough spot. And here in the next verse, they actually ask him a question and he handles it pretty well. He says, again, we're in John chapter 9, verse 12. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So that's a good example. If you don't know the answer to a question, you can simply say, I don't know. Your testimony is not, I know everything now. It's just, I know certain things and I have experienced certain things so I could share those things. Don't be intimidated. I'm speaking to new Christians. Don't be intimidated to not share your testimony because you don't know everything. Just know that you might get some questions you don't know the answer to and we should be honest and say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'll, I'll look into that and get back to you. Yeah. So I'm glad that this man shares his testimony and then he looks into who Jesus is and where he is and how to follow him. All of that will become clearer through time. The other thing I wanted to point out from his testimony was that there was a call to action. When Jesus made mud and put it in his eyes, he said to him, go and wash. And so he went and he washed. And if Jesus asks you to do two things, that's all you need to do is those two things. And what he is telling all of humanity to do, it says in Mark chapter 1 and Acts chapter 17, God is commanding everyone everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who died for our sins and who rose again from the grave, who's King of Kings. So repent and believe. That's what we're called to do. Not go and wash, but repent and believe. But there's an action and there's an obedience that is part of that. I think that so often people who would call themselves Christians, and our purpose is not to point to people specifically and say, you are a Christian, you're not a Christian. Ultimately, that's between the person and God. Um, But part of what makes somebody a Christian is that decision and that step of obedience that this man was taking, you know? He knew something miraculous had happened, and because of that, he stepped out in obedience. The Bible says to obey the gospel. Mm -hmm. What does the gospel command us to do? to repent and believe. Yes. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved no. by Christ when we repent and believe. So that is an act of the will. It's uh, obedience to the gospel, it's called in the Bible. So that's what yeah. you need to begin to see spiritually. Yes. You need to respond to that call. Had the man not gone and washed, I don't know if he would have received his sight. It wasn't until he went, as the Lord told him to do. He trusted what Jesus commanded him to do, and you know, that trust was vindicated. Yeah. Well, we got to pick up the pace here. We, we have about 30 verses verses to complete the chapter. I'm hoping we can complete it today. Yes. So verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? and there was a division among him. Interesting thing is he was, they're saying he's not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. How had he broken the Sabbath? I don't think he broke the Sabbath, but the, the Pharisees, they're a group that had very strict traditions in yeah. ways that they expected people to keep the Sabbath. Um, you weren't supposed to. So to to make like bricks, for example, is considered work. And how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You you mix some liquid with some, some clay and uh, yeah. put, it in, put it in the kiln or something to create a brick. 
trick, but here Jesus spits and makes a little mud and rubs it between his fingers. They're calling that work? Yeah, or apparently is it the he healing was kneading, like you would knead dough or something like that. So he was kneading mud, therefore he had worked on the Sabbath, therefore he had broken God's commandment. Uh-huh. It's just, it's ridiculous, they're frankly. Grasping at straws. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But they're trying to find an accusation against Jesus, but it doesn't stick. Yeah. Well, and I think, that, of course, a big thing with the Pharisees was to pay attention to all those little details because they felt if they did pay attention to every tiny little detail and uh, stretched, you know, every law out to its radical, illogical conclusion, then somehow they would be able to meet God's standard of goodness through their own works, which is, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Are you saying we shouldn't pay attention to the details or just that they're looking, they think their attention to detail is what saves them? We should pay attention to the details that are actually in Scripture, Mm -hmm. not make up additional ones, which is what they did. They brought up so many other laws, and number one, I think, to so that they could try to meet God's standard of goodness, but also to set a standard that nobody outside the Pharisees could meet. I mean, because, my goodness, could they even remember all the laws the Pharisees went by? I don't think it's even possible. But as far as what's actually in Scripture, should we pay attention to that? Yes, and we should do everything we can to meet God's standard of righteousness, but not as a means of right relationship with him, Mm -hmm. but because we love him and we want him to be pleased. Mm -hmm. So this brings up the question of the Sabbath. How do we interpret the Sabbath? Because if they're interpreting it in a way that's inappropriate, what is the right way to understand the Sabbath? Because it was one of the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. right? You shall uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for the Lord created heaven and earth and everything that's in them in six days, and on the seventh Mm -hmm. he rested. And the Jews were commanded to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy mm-hmm. um, by following that example of six days of work, one day of rest. Mm-hmm. So is it good for people to take a day of rest every week? Is that something God wants for man? Yes, absolutely. It is something, and and this is something that I'm not always so successful at. <laughs> I tend to probably work more than I should and not take enough time to rest. But Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath is actually a gift and a guidance by God to to show us what we need to be healthy. Now, there were consequences for breaking the Sabbath back then, but it's something that we need that God gave us. So we should consider it a gift, not a curse or a burden. Mm -hmm. If it becomes work to keep the Sabbath, then you're maybe focused more on the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. Yeah, Yeah, I think the spirit of the law, particularly now, because we are in in a new covenant, we are still to follow God's moral law, but the ceremonial laws have changed from what they were during this time in a, in a pretty dramatic way. So the Sabbath would be an example of a ceremonial law, not necessarily morally binding in the New Testament? That's the tricky part because, well, for instance, in, in Romans 14.5, it's talking about obedience to God's law, and it talks specifically um, about the Sabbath. It had talked about other things like, uh, you know, what kind of foods we're supposed to eat and, and, uh, and, and how to treat what they call the weaker brother so that we're not causing them to stumble. But then it goes on and it says this, and I encourage people to read this for themselves. It's important. Um, It says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And this is talking about the Sabbath. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day honors it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. 
Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So, so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. And then it goes on to talk about judgment. That verse about judgment is Colossians two sixteen. Mm-hmm. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in re- in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new yes. moon or a Sabbath. Correct. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Yes, and that actually brings up a good issue, which is why do Christians celebrate on Sunday when the Jews their Sabbath was on Saturday? Why was that change made? I had a discussion with a Seventh-day Adventist a week and a half ago, and he was saying the Catholic Church changed the Sabbath to Sunday, and uh, he and his father are Sabbath keepers, and Mm. they called us Sunday keepers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Sabbath was a Friday night to Saturday night, sunset to sunset. Friday night sundown to Saturday sundown, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Yeah. Because the Jews counted a day as evening, and there was morning the first day, right? Gotcha, gotcha. But when we look at the pattern in the book of Acts, we see that the church met daily in the temple and house to house. Mm -hmm. Paul did make it a a habit to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath to preach the gospel to the Jews who were already there gathered. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when they rejected him and and he went to uh, teach the the Greeks and Gentiles, he would meet other days as well. There's one day when he met with the church on a Sunday and he spoke so long for hours Mm -hmm. until like someone fell asleep upstairs, uh, fell out the window and died. (laughs) And Paul went and, you know, oh, that would be a disruption to the Bible study. Paul went late. Yeah, that's a hilarious story. I love that. Just, yeah. You know, it, it's not just a modern problem with pastors talking too long. <laughs> the Apostle Paul did it. Yeah, and the guy died because of it, but he laid his hands on him and uh, raised him from the dead and then there continued with the Bible study. And that was on a Sunday. And so yeah. there's historical precedent for the church all the way going back to the first generation of them meeting on the first day of the week and celebrating the, the, one of the biggest part of the messages of the apostles was the resurrection, Mm -hmm. which happened on the first day of the week. So I don't think of that as a Sabbath. I think of that as a great day to celebrate and worship. For me personally, since Mm -hmm. no one's allowed to judge me when I celebrate Sabbath or the resurrection, for me personally, I make it a commitment to go to church every Sunday. And it's not Sabbath keeping in my mind. It's worshiping God and and, and proclaiming his resurrection. But it's you choosing to regularly dedicate time Mm -hmm. to gather with the people of God and to worship God and to learn. And so it's it's still time as yeah. a Christian, time that you've chosen to dedicate to God. So if somebody did choose a Saturday, that would be okay. God bless if the some... Seventh-day Adventists if they want to do that on Saturday. Yeah. Or if somebody wanted to do it on a Tuesday, because that's the only time that their family and friends could gather. Now, yeah. I think that would be okay. I think that the precedent in Scripture, clearly the pattern that we see from the early church is Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. So I see no reason to change that. But would it be sinful for somebody, for whatever reason, maybe because they're not able to gather on Sunday, would it be sinful for them to choose another day? I don't think so. It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of conscience. If it's sinful to them and they don't do it, then to them it could be sinful. Yeah, yeah. So this is a a matter of freedom, I think, that there Mm -hmm. is in the church. It's a gray area, if you will. 
Even though it's one of the Ten Commandments, as I read, the Sabbath was the shadow, the fullness belongs to Christ. And yes. Hebrews makes a big deal of this in Hebrews 4 verse 9. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But in the context, it says, as long as it's called today, we could enter into his rest. Amen. And so spiritually speaking, I think the Sabbath pointed forward. It pointed back to God's act of creation and completing that, but it also pointed forward to the complete work of Christ on the cross when he died, he said, it is finished. He paid the price. So we don't obey the Sabbath legalistically to save ourselves, because that's not what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is about entering into God's rest, and we do that through faith in Christ. And the substance, I like this illustration. Like, I can have a, you know, I love my wife, and Mm -hmm. I could have a picture of my wife, and when I'm not with her, I look at that picture, and those, you know, I I adore her. Well, the Sabbath was sort of a picture. It's a shadow of Christ, but it's not the reality. So Mm -hmm. when Christ came, we have the reality. We have rest in Him. We don't need to look to a law to find that rest. Yes, indeed. It would be like me hugging the shadow of my wife on the ground rather than hugging my wife. No, you appreciate the person. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Indeed. So back to John chapter 9, what verse are we in? Yes. We read 13 through 16. 16. Yes, correct. The division between the two groups of the Pharisees. It says, and there was a division among them. Yeah. Uh, Between who and who? There's a division here between actually two groups of the Pharisees. That's kind of interesting, that there were some that said, this man is not from God, and for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs. And there was a division among them. And I think we actually see that other places in the gospel where there are certain members. Nicodemus? Yeah, like Nicodemus, who was uh, of the Pharisees and came to Jesus at night um, trying to figure out who he was and what was going on. So we, when we talk about, I, I think this is important, frequently scripture talks about, or Jesus talks about the Jews as if they were bad people. Not all the Jews. We're talking specifically about the religious leaders of the Jews, who were the ones that were trying to accuse Jesus. And, and in this case, it seems like not even all of the Jewish religious leaders were attacking Jesus. That It sounds like it was the, the majority of them, but some of these are saying there's got to be something legitimate. There's got to be something going on. We shouldn't just dismiss Jesus because look at what he's able to do. Look at how God used him. Well, at first they were questioning whether he even did the sign. Could this be mm-hmm. a different guy? Maybe yeah, he yeah. just looks like him. And now they're getting down to the fact that, okay, it seems like Jesus actually did heal this guy. And yeah. their first, and then their next approach is to say, well, we know he's a sinner. God doesn't listen to him. <laughs> and so then, well, if that's your premise that it, you're not... You're you're not giving glory to God for healing this guy. How did that? That's what they say in verse 17. What do you yeah, say yeah, about him later. since he has opened your eyes? They said to the blind man himself. And so, how can any, someone receive their sight unless this is a work from God? Could yeah. Satan heal the blind? That's an interesting question. I would say no, um, but I don't even know that I would say that 100%, because clearly from other areas of Scripture, and uh, we see that Satan and you know the evil spiritual beings, they have supernatural power, in some cases very extreme supernatural power. But I don't think the Scripture really delineates exactly where that stops. Yeah, there's no evidence in Scripture 
scripture of this ever happening that Satan has opened no. blind eyes. There are plenty of counterfeit miracles, like I think yeah. of that Moses Moses did miracles to demonstrate God was sending mm-hmm. him, and the yeah. uh, magicians did similar miracles. Of course, they only yeah, yeah. they only shot themselves in the foot <laughs> by the miracles they did. Correct. He added to the plagues and so on. Um, and in Revelation, it says that the Antichrist will do the beast will do false signs and wonders to deceive people. Jesus warned about false signs and wonders. Of course, as we're talking about the sign of the blind man seeing, and that has significance, what is a false sign? Does it mean it didn't really happen, or does it mean that it's there? there is some supernatural something happening that would lead people to believe the devil's lies rather than the truth of God? I think it could be either one. I mean, I, I think of the, the passage where Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons and perform many miracles. You know, it doesn't specify what those miracles are, um, but it does seem that they could have been real miracles. Um, I couldn't quote you chapter and verse, but I know when we talk about the book of Revelation, um, we've got, you know, the false prophet able to do supernatural things. So, I I don't know. Even a resurrection, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, That's one of the primary um, works of the the false prophet. Um, So, it's, I don't know, it's it's one of those things that I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. Well, at the very least, the healing of a blind man should be a sign. Yes. There is something supernatural happening here. Yeah, and then yeah. you go to the message and the messenger to see if uh, he bears witness of God, or if, you know, Bible says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. I'm yeah. skeptical when I hear of so-called miracles being done, and sometimes they're done in the name of a famous preacher that is just trying to get the glory for himself. And that's one of the reasons why I think there aren't a lot of miracles happening to today, because if someone truly had the gift of healings and miracles, then uh, I think the temptation would be huge to take glory for that, take credit for that, and God will not share his glory with another. That's true. But Jesus here is more than just a man, isn't he? Indeed. Just reminds me of another passage. Um, It reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting with verse 1. It says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So something supernatural did actually happen. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your Mm -hmm. soul. So it sounds to me that God can allow false signs in order to test us. Mm. You know, so that we, you know, I mean, it, Scripture says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So right. God can use it for testing as well. Yeah, we shouldn't be gullible. No, no. So then it comes down to if this is a real miracle, and mm-hmm. they ask the man in verse 19, is mm-hmm. this, actually, they ask his parents, actually, we skip verse 18, so you yes. mind if I go forward? Yeah, please. In verse 18 and 19, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Says in parentheses, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for they had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. 
synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, ask him. He is of age. That's just so frustrating that before they even came to investigate the truth of the claim, they had already decided that anyone who proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ would be thrown out. Well, we see that all the time on the streets. People deciding, uh, really, I call it prejudice. They are not interested in the evidence to make a judgment based on what the evidence is. They've already pre-decided. I had this conversation with a, with uh, three young people on Saturday in Monterey. They came up to the table. They were interested in my paintings and mm-hmm. what the message was that I was sharing. And they took tracts. And they uh, th- there was a two young men and one young woman. And the one, young woman said, oh, no, I'm not really interested in the evidence. I don't believe in God. And I said, well, if you're not interest- interested in the evidence, then how do you know that there is no God? Because she was saying, like, affirmatively, there is no God. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how can you know that without checking out the evidence? Here's a Bible. Have you ever read it? Would you read it? She said, no, I wouldn't read it. I haven't read it. I'm not going to read it. I'm not interested. But I know for certain there is no God. It's like, well, you're not being very honest with yourself, and you're not open to the truth. You've already decided this, so it's not yeah. based on evidence. She said, I'm not a scientist, but I, I just, I know there's no God without any reason. Yeah. That is frustrating. Yeah. Oh, and there, there are definitely a lot of people like that. I just had an uh, encounter with someone like that a week and a half ago. Um, I won't say the place or the name of the person, um, but this is a guy that I've dealt with many times before, and uh, I've just stopped even trying to have discussions with him because the bias is so obvious yeah. and so blatant. I mean, um, at one point, this was years ago in a conversation, I asked if, you know, if I could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was real, would you worship him? And his answer was no. I'd give him the finger and gladly go to hell. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And so there are people like that, unfortunately, and it made me think of, um, I can't remember, it was one of the one of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount. I, th- I want to say that it was Matthew 5, where uh, Matthew 5 or 6, where Jesus says, do not give um, dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before swine. Matthew they will 7. Trample them. Yeah, they will trample them under feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And that's exactly what some of these, this is exactly what that guy would do mm-hmm. and what he would attempt to do. So that that's a reality as well. And that is the same kind of spirit that we see in the Jewish religious leaders. Yeah. And Jesus calls it for what it is in the end of this chapter. We're, we haven't gotten there yet, but it's essentially they're covering their eyes and saying, I don't see any evidence for this because they, they choose to be blind to it. So that's a, yes. that spiritual pride is, it's blinding. It so is. let's stay, you have to be humble to receive the gospel. If you think you know everything, you're not open to learning anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So God help us to not follow that example. And if someone's listening today who you've said such things in your past, oh, I'm not going to check out the evidence. I'm not going to read the Bible. I just am going to hold fast to my opinion that there is no God or there probably is no God. So I'm just going to enjoy my life. Well, that shouldn't be a comforting thing for you because like even with this girl I was talking with, I said, what, how, how sure are you? Are you 100% sure or 99% sure? And there's a 1% chance that you're wrong. She said, okay, I'm not uh, 99% sure. And I said, okay, if, if your eternity it depends on this 1% possibility of God being there and these, what I'm saying, what I'm sharing, if it's actually true, then it would behoove you to look into it. So yeah. I held the Bible up again. Here's your last chance. And she walked away. She said, nope, I will not. Yeah. And that's really, it's not a, that's the issue. It's a, it's a decision. It's a, a choice to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, like Romans 1 tells us. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't believe. And unbelief at base is always, it's never an in 
intellectual problem. Even though people may have intellectual objections, you know, and it's fair to ask those questions, and we should be do our best to give answers. But it, it's not the the intellect that's the problem; it's the heart. Twenty four. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, "Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner." He answered, "Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know: that though I was blind, now I see." Mm. That's powerful. That really reminds me of the the simplicity of faith. You know, so many people sometimes will, and I tend in this direction, so I've got to watch myself. It's easy to uh, parse things theologically so that anybody that disagrees with you on even a fine point, well, they couldn't really be a Christian. <laughs> And uh, this person is just coming to know God, just coming to trust in in Christ, and doesn't know a lot of details. But what he does know, he was touched by the Savior, and now he can see. Mm -hmm. And he started out saying Jesus was a man that healed him. He goes on to say that Jesus is uh, a prophet, and he learns that he is the Christ. Uh, But being, if Jesus was a sinner, he, he wouldn't be qualified to be the Christ. He wouldn't be qualified to be our Savior. He'd be dying for his own sin, not for ours. So Jesus had to be sinless. And so I'm glad that John, the way he records this, he, you know, people scrutinize Jesus over every little detail and uh, they, they can't find fault with him. So it makes makes the clear case that Jesus is trustworthy. He is who he says he is. He's able to do uh, for us spiritually what he did for this man physically. And I think this man here is becoming a believer and it's we're seeing the process unfold of him growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. But again, he always, if he doesn't know something, he'll admit, I don't know that, but I do know this. I once was blind, but now I see. What do you know, um, audience member, driving in your car? What do you know about God? Maybe there are some certain truths that have been revealed to you, and maybe you don't have the full picture. We don't have the full picture, but I can say that the more uh, you walk with God by faith, the more he reveals about who he is, that he is good, he's not evil. And uh, people who think that God is evil, they it shows they don't know God. Yes. It's interesting. It seems like part of what is convincing him or made it, made, causing him to think about this more de- deeply is the response that he's seeing from the Pharisees. You mean the opposition? The opposition, yeah. And it's like he starts and he's just giving answers. And then they keep probing and like fi- looking for inconsistencies in his story and all this kind of stuff. And you can almost hear him getting more and more frustrated and, and exasperated with the way it's like, you know, um, like the next one, he says, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And, he's an- and he answered them, I've already told you, and you wouldn't listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I don't think he actually believed that they wanted to be- become his disciples. I think he's just getting frustrated, and it's like, give me a break, guys. I've already told you three or four times what he did. I told you how he did it. Why do you keep asking the same questions mm-hmm. over and over again? It's an interrogation ta- tactic to see if he can get him to tell a, a contradictory story. Yeah. Because it's, it's hard to remember the lies that some people tell. And so if you keep asking him the same questions, <laughs> that's a police tactic, right? Security it, it, tactic It kind too, of probably. is. Yeah. I just find it hilarious because you get into the next section and he's... And these are the, the rulers of his mm-hmm. people. The religious leaders were the rulers of his 
people. And he's given them what for because he knows how silly they're being. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. I just, mm-hmm. I, I can't help but laugh when I hear that. Yeah. I can almost hear it in my head, him saying these things. Yeah. Now, the word disciple comes up three times. Mm-hmm. He says, do you also want to become his disciple? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So what is a disciple? And is this man accepting Jesus as his teacher and he's becoming his disciple? Uh, Yeah, he's not there yet, but it seems like as the chapter moves on and he sees this opposition and he thinks more about who Jesus is and what he really did, he's getting closer and closer. It's like God is slowly opening his eyes Mm -hmm. through this whole process. Well, I think he could be saying that he is a disciple by yeah. saying, do you also want to become his disciple? That's true. Uh, That's and true. then they're reviling and saying, you are his disciple. I think that that process happens in the life of a Christian, and it helps mm-hmm. them galvanize who they are in Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. When when their accusers are using that as a bad word, and, and it reminds me of what Peter says in his letters, that uh, if someone you know if someone persecutes you for being a Christian, rejoice that you're being called that mm-hmm. name, that you're identified with Christ. And before the word Christian was even used as a a term of derision, you're like a little member of Christ's family, Uh, the word disciple was the more common word used for the followers and believers in Jesus. So in a sense, this insult is a badge of honor. And I think Christians need to to see that as like, that's part of growing as a Christian when you are called, uh, even when people use the word religious, you're religious. Well, it's because they're they're not comfortable using the word God. And so they're just going to say you're religious because you believe in God. I I don't know. I think this is part of the galvanizing process of person becoming a committed follower of Christ is they realize there is a cost to it. People will insult them. They'll reject them. And uh, But when when the world can see that you're a follower of Christ, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Again, I have an evangelist friend of mine who used to ask people, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you Mm. if, if it ever became illegal to be a Christian? And that might happen one day. I wonder in that day, will people say, oh, no, no, I'm not a Christian. Some people are even running from that term because it's been so hijacked, I guess. It's that they want to say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, and they'll change the terminology. But I I wear that badge with honor if I'm called a disciple yeah, or follower of Christ. Yeah. Amen. So should we go on to the next verse? Um, let's see if there's anything else in these verses. They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples <laughs> of Moses. Mm. Again, this goes back to their claim of keeping the law. And Jesus will touch on this. If you believed in Moses, you would believe in me because he wrote of me. Yes. That was in an earlier chapter. It was. So their claim to be disciples of Moses, it's a false one because they're not believing in the one that Moses wrote about. That's right. But they say in verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Well, yeah, this is where I I think Jesus could give them a Bible study. (laughs) If you believed in Moses, here's where Moses wrote wrote about me. And, and that's that's a year-long process that I spent uh, leading the church in Latvia through the Old Testament, where it talks about Jesus. It's in practically every chapter, every page. So. And he wasn't talking to laymen. These were scholars. These were guys that took pride in knowing God's word backwards and forwards. It should have been obvious to them. Well, I mean, once again, Jesus is all over the Old Testament. We take it for granted that it's obvious because God's opened our eyes, and we, we 
see yeah. these things. We've been born again. The Holy Spirit breathes. You know, when Jesus, after the resurrection, breathed on the disciples, mm-hmm. he o- it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's when they Correct. received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Even they had a hard time seeing yeah. how the Old Testament spoke about Jesus. But he, yeah. then in Luke 24, when he breathed on them and opened their minds to understand the scriptures, he explained to them what was written about himself. So it's, in a sense, Dan, you know this very well. Yeah. The, the work of an evangelist is is to reveal spiritual truths to people who are spiritually yes. blind. And unless yes. God does that miracle of opening their eyes, it's the most frustrating thing in the world to <laughs> try and show a blind person what color some, you know, the, the different exactly. nuances of God's character. We really are just depending on God doing a miracle. So it seems obvious to us, but to a blind person, it's not clear at all. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, that, that just reinforces the point that this is ultimately not an intellectual issue. If it was merely an intellectual issue, then it should have been obvious. But there is that really strong spiritual aspect to it. It's very much a spiritual issue that apart from the uh, the supernatural power of God, we're not going to be able to see these things. Not only could they not see it, but we won't be able to see it. And, and I like to use that as an encouragement to believers when they're sharing the gospel, because your success, if you're a Christian, in sharing the gospel with some someone else is not in how many decisions did you get? It's not in how many people decided to come to church with you. It is your success is is gauged by your faithfulness, and that's it. Your responsibility is to present the word as faithfully, accurately as you can. I mean, you want people to have a sense of urgency, and you should try to encourage them, but then the real work is in God's hands, not in yours. I like another take on this man's amazement uh, at the, mm-hmm. how spiritually blind the Pharisees are, um, is that he's actually evan- trying to evangelize them. In, he, he is. He really yeah, is. And it's out of the mouth of babes, sometimes God speaks wisdom, <laughs> and just new believers can be used to speak to someone who is uh, lost in their religion, if you, mm. if you will. I've seen this on the streets where someone will come and say, don't you know I've been an elder in such and such church for, for 50 years, and you don't need mm-hmm. to preach to me. And um, it's like, okay, What's the basis of your salvation? Well, I'm a good person. Well, being a good person or an elder in a church doesn't get you into heaven. And a new believer who knows the gospel, just even in basics, knows that you're not saved by being a good person. If you think you're saved by being a good person, you're not a Christian yet. (laughs) And so, you know, even a a new believer can reveal these truths. I, I see this blind man healed as a witness to the religious elite who should know better, but don't. He's says, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know Mm -hmm. that God does not listen to sinners. This is verse 31. But if anyone Mm -hmm. is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Speaking of Jesus, that he's concluding Mm -hmm. here, Jesus is a worshiper of God. He does his will, and God listens to him. Never, verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not not from God, he could do nothing. That's his little soapbox moment. It is. My healing has is evidence to you and to me. It's obvious to me, but should be evidence to you that mm-hmm. God is working through Jesus. Jesus is from God. He needs to make the next connection that Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, but it, he's, he's growing in the knowledge of Jesus as he's testifying yes. of his faith. 
Indeed. So I encourage our audience, if you're a new believer, keep growing, keep stepping out, keep testifying of what God's done for you. And it may not be perfect at first, and, mm-hmm. you know, it probably won't be, but as you're open to seeing more of God, he will reveal more to you. And hold on to that passion and that boldness that you have as a new Christian. That can tend to wane if we're not careful as we go on in our Christian walk. But that's what that that kind of boldness, that excitement about who God is, he opened my eyes. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. That is a gift from God that will really encourage you in your walk in the future. Mm -hmm. Don't let that go. So continuing in John chapter 9, verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us, and they cast him out. This kind of confirms my theory that that he was on a soapbox trying to teach the religious guys who should know better, uh, but because they should know better, they think they do know better, and they're unwilling to be taught by someone who's so, uh, so, so clearly his life has been impacted by Jesus. But Yeah, and they go, they go back to that same wrong assumption that because he was blind, he must have been born due to sin, his sin, or his parents' sin. Mm, yeah, that's how the chapter started, with the disciples asking Jesus. Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Um, Maybe this is where they got that question. The Pharisees think, well, since you were born blind, you were born in utter sin. Yeah, and I think there's some of that makes sense. I remember, I think it was David Guzik who was talking about this, where he said they had a a right thought in that they didn't want to attribute this bad thing that had happened, or the man's man's blindness. They didn't want to attribute that to God, because they didn't see that as a good thing and God is a good God. Could God have caused this to happen? No, no, no. There had to be some other explanation. It had to be. It had to be based in somebody's sin. Um, but of course, it, I would argue that this was based in in general sin, and that we live in a sin cursed creation, like we talked about in last week's show. That doesn't mean it was tied to a specific thing that he or his parents had done wrong. Yeah. And you know, all of us have sinned, whether yes, wh- wherever you fall on that debate of the original sin, or you know how sinful is human nature, how spiritually blind and dead are people before uh, their eyes are opened and they believe. Um, like the truth is, God has called us to be willing to learn. And uh, the people that we can learn from, they're all sinners. Uh, but we can be, we can learn from sinners, specifically how God forgives sin and sets people free from their sin. And just because someone may be a sinner in their past, if they've repented and trusted in Christ, God can make them a teacher. And they could, you know, some of the some of the greatest teachers that I've been mentored by, uh, before they came to Christ, they were terrible sinners. And even after coming to Christ, they, they aren't perfect. But um, mm, yeah. it's, God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things to uh, put to shame those who are strong. When someone trusts in their own self-righteousness, then they're not going to be open to learning from anybody. And I think that's just a shame that they refuse to be taught because they could be set free like this blind man was, but they refuse yes. and they cast him out. David Guzik made made a, uh, some interesting points off this. I won't go in depth, but he says that they first insulted him and then they abused him and then they rejected him. And uh, sometimes that happens. Religious people have insulted, abused, and rejected new believers. And sometimes that really hurts. Uh, and people leave the church, not by their own, not because they were kicked out, sometimes just because they were they were burnt. And if there's an, anyone out there listening that is in that situation, maybe as a new believer, you were uh, treated badly by religious leaders that you looked up to. Um, but just know that not everyone who claims the name of Christ, not everyone who says they're disciples of Moses 
or the students of the Bible are really representing God. And we ought to not reject God or the Bible or the church as a whole because of those few who may abuse their position as a so-called Bible teacher. We need to uh, keep our eyes on the one the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on, and that's Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. He was abused verbally, and yet he willingly went to the cross for us. And so we ought to be willing to take up our crosses and deny ourselves to follow him. Don't let the insults of men cause you to lose your faith. That is a tactic that Satan likes to use. And certainly there are people that try to insult our intelligence every time we go on the Flight 1080 show. They'll call and say that we know nothing and that they are the only ones who are, you know who I'm talking about, who knows reality. (laughs) Yes, I know who you're talking about. And, you know, you just gotta brush it off. Let those insults just roll off your back like water off a duck's back. And just continue. So we've got just a few verses left. What do you think about reading through to the end? Let's wrap it up. So let me do, I'll read the first few and then you can read after that. Starting with verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You want to finish? Mm, kind of want to comment on that. Is that okay? Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. So I think that's the question Jesus Jesus is asking each one of us and all of us Mm, who are listening, do you believe in the Son of Man? And when he says believe, I think we ought to be careful to uh, water down the word believe. It means to trust in, to cling to, and rely upon, and to know him. So if you believe in the Son of Man, which is one of the titles for the Messiah given in the Old Testament, and that Jesus calls himself in the third person here, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you trust him? And that's the question. Do we trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the solution? one who can give us physical sight and spiritual sight. Yes. That's your decision. Well, and then it, he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I think he's he, he didn't really know that title or he's open to Jesus teaching him. That's why he asked this question. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. I just love how Jesus has a way with words. You have seen him. Keep in mind, this man was formerly blind. Yes. So now he's revealing himself, not just physically, but he says it is he who is speaking to you. It's me. Jesus is identifying himself. Has he revealed himself to you, dear audience? I hope he does. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Not only does he call him the son of man, but he believes that he is Lord. And this this uh, Greek word for Lord in this context is kurios, which it can be sir, but it's a term of respect and mastery. So calling upon Jesus as Lord is one of the things the Bible says we need to do. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you call upon him as Lord with your lips, you shall be saved, says in Romans 10. Okay, so he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That deserves some confidence. The man worshipped Jesus. Did Jesus receive the worship? He did receive the worship. You should only worship God, though, right? That's correct. And this is one of the evidences that Jesus, uh, one one argument that we get a lot from certain people, um, particularly I would say Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims, is that Jesus never claimed to, to be God. But the act of accepting worship is a claim to be God. There are a number of places where, for instance, angels, where men fell down and tried to worship angels. Angels and the angels are like, no, no, you don't worship me, worship God alone. 
So Jesus, his act of accepting worship is a claim to be God. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't deny it. In the next verse, Jesus says something different, so there's no denial of it. Instead, Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Hmm. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, you're guilt remains. That's, That's the end powerful. of the chapter. That's a powerful yeah. way to end kind of a cliffhanger. Are they gonna ever see? Like, it seems so clear to us, the the reader, especially as believers of this. And I, I think this this is one of the reasons why we recommend the Gospel of John to non-believers because yeah. there's really two positions. There's two sides that you may fall on. Either Jesus is from God and that's why he's able to heal the blind or he's not from God or he's not. you don't see who he is. And the position that the Pharisees fall on is one of rejecting Jesus. And Jesus holds them accountable for that. He says, if you if you were truly blind, meaning spiritually blind, you, uh, mm-hmm. and like admitting that you don't see the truth, then you wouldn't be guilty. In other words, you have, well, he's, he puts it in other words in the other half of the verse, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So in a sense, there's greater accountability to those who, are get, who have more knowledge, or those who claim they have more knowledge have a greater accountability. Yes. Would you agree with that? I would agree agree with that. And uh, I would say particularly in our culture, there is so much information available and evidence and documents and and just we live in a in a age that is rich with information and communication available to us. I would argue that anybody who wants to find out who Jesus Christ is, all they've got to do is pick up their, their smartphone and do a little search and they're going to get all the information that they really want if they're willing to look. Mm. There's some stinging words from Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Mm-hmm. He says uh, in verse 17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you yes. to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and disappoint so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So there's a, you know, this this church he's writing to, he's speaking to is the Laodicean church. They say they can see, but Jesus knows that they are blind. And he, But he advises them, receive healing so that you may see. But you have to, uh, you just have to be open to what God is trying to do in your life. He's calling you. Amen. As we end tonight, I would just encourage our listeners, as you read the end of this chapter, these people are claiming that they can see when they're choosing to be blind. My friends, make sure this isn't you. Examine yourself, examine your motives, examine your heart. See if you are truly being humble before God. You know, examine yourself to to see if you are really interested or willing to hear the truth. And if that's something that you've been struggling with, or if you come to the conclusion that you've been spiritually blind, my friends, call out to God and he will give you sight. He will allow you to see his truth and come to the knowledge of Christ while you've been given time. We invite you to 
write in your questions at questions at dwellontruth.org. Thank you guys for listening to the Dwell on Truth show, and we'll start on the beginning of chapter 10 next week.